And here we go. Um, it was truly a masterpiece. I don't know about all that. Ugh, absolutely the worst movie ever. Hands down, bar none, the greatest action spectacular ever. Well, uh, the other one just stuck them up. Are you asking me? I promise I'm not going to sing this time around. Welcome to Don't Be Crazy Podcast. I'm Justin Kavanagh. With me, as always, is Mr. Zachary Rancourt. Here we discuss and dissect what makes a film, past or present, absolutely amazing, or, hear me out, just rubbish. Oh, hate that stuff. All that we ask of each other is don't be crazy. Don't be crazy, Zach. Hey, forget about it. Forget about it. It's a it's a fagoozy or a fagazi. I don't know. Whatever you want to say there. Like, How do you know it's fagazi? You looked at it for two seconds. <laughs> let me uh, let me get the pistachio there. Yeah. <laughs> hey man, how are you? I am good. No complaints. Busy, busy, busy. I have a complaint. I tweaked my back or something when I slept. I think it was my neck, but I took today off and I went to the driving range and that did not help things. So now I'm kind of like laying on the floor and also twisting my back at the same time. So, yeah, it's uh, it's it's been a doozy today, yeah. <laughs> to say the least. Watch out for that first step. It's a doozy. It's Groundhog's Day. <laughs> Dude, I, somebody one one podcast I listened to, they referred to it as Groundhog's Day too, and I just started laughing. I was on a run, and I just started busting up laughing because he's like, "Yeah, the movie Groundhog's Day," and I'm like, "That's right." <laughs> There's an S. <laughs> there is not. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. Don't hate me. <laughs> I don't. I can't. I know. I can't I quit know. you. <laughs> Playing football at West Canaan, Texas might have been the best time of your life <laughs> for you, but I don't want your life. No, sir. You're a real piece. Tell Coach to spit out his gum. I'm sick of watching him chew it. Oh, God. John Boyd. Yeah. Fix that shit. Yeah. <laughs> Fix your face. I just don't like it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, jeez. You know, my, uh, we haven't really talked about it, but Orange is a New Black, you know, that show on the Netflix there. Um mm-hmm. There was a scene in, I think it was season two, when Pornstash came back after his like suspension, and he was like, you, I don't like your face. That's a shot. <laughs> it just made me laugh. Oh, I gave that uh, show, the first season, I gave it like five episodes, and I was watching a long time ago when it first came out, uh, and I just never really finished it. I couldn't get into it. I don't know why. I'm sure it's good. It's okay. I got to season like five. I didn't finish. The... Uh, that opening is hard to watch. <laughs> just all the yeah. close-ups on the, the eyes and faces and stuff. Yeah. It's Not true. No. Yeah. So, uh, what have you been watching? So, I saw the movie Coco for the first time. And I know it's been out for a while, but uh, I bought it off of HD Movie Codes for $2 in 4K. That is possibly one of the best Disney Pixar films I've ever seen. It is so good. It's so emotional. The story, the music, I was floored. I thought it was so awesome. So if you have a chance, check it out. Uh, I've also been watching The Office a lot lately just because we have less than a month before it is gone from our lives from Netflix. Um, So that's been on in the background. I watched Galaxy Quest. I had never seen it. And it was on HBO Max, so I really wanted to check it out. It is hilarious. And just like how you and Stephen Alva Wood were saying, 
Uh, it is kind of that love letter to Trek Trekkie fans or Trekkies, I guess, and then other kind of TV shows. Just the funny meta aspects of it were hilarious. And I, I really enjoyed everybody in that movie. Um, I rewatched Clue again. I've seen that probably about 15 times. I just love it. It's, it's such such a such an amazing movie. And then I have been playing the shit out of Doom Eternal on PlayStation 4. Um, I really liked the game, but it got kind of uh, monotonous after a while. And it was just rinse and repeat everything. Like you have hordes of demons that you have to destroy to get past one part. And it just got kind of boring. I ended up playing like an hour past my bedtime the other night because uh, I really wanted to beat a section and just be done with it. But uh, otherwise, for 20 bucks is what I got. It It was was a fantastic game. I had a lot of fun playing it. So that's about it, man. Um, I spent a ton of money on Black Friday buying a lot of shit for me. Um, I bought this really awesome Batman uh, coffee table book. It was 40 bucks and it's the like definitive collection of Batman. It's it's unbelievable. Uh, And then I also pre-ordered the 4K extended cut of Lord of the Rings, and that should be here tomorrow. December 3rd. So I know what I'm doing this weekend, hmm. but but uh, I'm excited for it. So yeah, man. But uh, what did you watch? I watched Lord of the Rings over the weekend. I watched the first two and a half on Saturday. A half of one of these things. A half. <laughs> a and <laughs> and uh, finished Return of the King on, because it was already like two in the morning. So I was like, yeah. fuck, I'll finish this <laughs> tomorrow. You were like, come <laughs> sing me a song. Yeah. <laughs> As I chew into my tomato. Yeah. (laughs) So gross. But yeah, I love Lord of the Rings. That's why it was pricey, man. It was a hundred bucks for the for the 4K extended edition set. Um, But honestly, I mean, everything I've been reading and seeing, they're like, this is why 4K was like made for movies like this. And I guess it's just a huge deal. They took a lot of time with like the Dolby Atmos and just the the rendering and all that stuff. So I'm very, very excited about it. And I mean, Lord of the Rings is so special to me that uh, I, I feel like I'm fine paying this. But it was sold out pretty much everywhere. I, I got lucky on Best Buy, which was crazy. Yeah, I have. So I, I mean, I bought them all on DVD when they came out, the, the theatrical and the excuse me, and the extended cuts. And then I bought them on the Blue Rage and then and then I bought them digital. So I'm kind of like, you know what? I'm <laughs> yeah. just going to wait. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> when there when there's like twelve Ks running around, then I'll fucking buy it again. But right I'm still now, gonna buy it. Yeah, <laughs> I'm fucking over it right now. And you know, I still watch it. Look great. And uh, and I do consider those. I know that they're not, but I consider them Christmas movies only because they came out like the week before Christmas each year, and so it was always Christmas time. And yeah. um, and by the time they showed up on. Uh, the extended cuts, it was always the fall, and then the regular theatrical release would be available like on HBO or Stars or some shit at Christmas time. So it was just always kind of on and available during Christmas. So I count them as Christmas movies now. And it's something you you like families watch during Christmas. It's like a tr- Christmas tradition for a lot of families True. to like watch the Lord of the Rings trilogy. So. Yeah, that's fair. And then after Return of the King was over, I needed to pick me up, so I watched Basketball. And then... I, <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, then I watched uh, Star Trek trilogy and then started uh, Harry Potter yesterday and I got to the first three and now I got to finish, you know, the rest. But how are you watching them? Are you just watching them on your own digital copies or are you watching it? Aren't they on like HBO Max? They're, or not, they're not anymore. They're, they're gone. Oh, but I have sucks. them on the Blu-ray. I wish I had them on digital. I almost just pulled the trigger, but I was like, 
How many times I got to buy these fucking movies? I bought them all on DVD. <laughs> I bought them all on Blu-ray. <laughs> and then I'm like, man, do I really want to buy fucking digital? I don't think so. So it's not going to happen anytime soon. Um, I mean, it was, it was like 50 bucks, which, which at the end of the day is a good deal for X amount of movies, like seven, what, eight movies, I guess, because of the last yeah. one is two parts, right? And so um, there's that. But fuck, man, I'm just tired of buying this shit. Yeah, I know. It's like all these different versions of it, but I, I, I'm the same way. So I have, I think I have six and both parts of seven on uh, digital from the DVDs I had a long time ago. But then I just a while back, I got the Blu-ray collection and that just that that works for me. Hmm. Good one. Cool. Yeah, it's <laughs> my favorite line. In all of, like, I, I think that the first two are so quotable, especially yeah. the first one, man. I'm like, I'm always like, well, take the law. And um. I fucking love dark times, Harry. Dark times. And I always say, I always go bloody hell. <laughs> From when Goyle, I think it's Crabber Goyle says it's like bloody hell. <laughs> They're just the worst. Potter. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you like that that picture that I sent you? Oh my god! I immediately <laughs> just started laughing my ass off. <laughs> Potter. It's like, dude, calm down. Get a pop filter for that kid. <laughs> Oh shit, that's so awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. So come on, we should go sit. Um, but yeah, um, I am ready to move on. We uh we're gonna talk about Casino today and came out in nineteen ninety five, directed by Martin Scorsese. And you know his work from like Mean Streets and Taxi Driver, Raging Bull, Goodfellas, Gangs of New York, The Aviator, The Departed, The Wolf of Wall Street, and whatever that one was we did around this time. A year ago, <laughs> the, the Irishman that wasn't good. <laughs> I liked, I liked no, the Irishman a lot. No, yeah, it's dumb. yeah, I did. The more I thought about it, the, like after watching, especially Casino, and we'll get into it later, I really appreciated the Irishman because I think it was a good culmination of his work. But yeah, I got you. I think it's boring and horrible. And next time I'm suffering from insomnia, I'll go ahead and put it on, and then I'll fall right to sleep because it sucks. <laughs> it's a fat fucking bitch <laughs> yeah oh man have you seen uh, I've asked you this before but I never remember the answer the ringer have you watched that yeah, yeah you scratched it <laughs> yeah, when he's like talking about being an actor and they're like well, why didn't you try it and then the one kid's like he's like well let's not kid ourselves looks are important in this industry <laughs> I'm sorry someone had to say it <laughs> I haven't seen it in a long time. I really want to watch that one again. Too. Oh, it's fucking great. And uh, anyway, so Casino, 1995, a lot of fun. It was written by Nicholas P- Pelegi, I guess, and uh, also written by Martin Scorsese. The two of them did the screenplay, and then uh, Nicholas P. did the novel as well, which he actually finished whilst the film was happening. Oh, wow. Fascinating. I didn't know that until today. Wow. Doing my due diligence and homework. <laughs> You're <laughs> the world's greatest detective. <laughs> yeah. I had one of those. went to the library and was checking out the, the that microfiche and I was spinning through the headlines. <laughs> and once extra, you know extra. It, I stopped right on the part that I needed to. <laughs> it always works out like that. <laughs> like a bullshit. I hate how fake Hollywood is. And let's see here. The film stars Mr. Robert De Niro. Some people call him Bobby D. I don't know if that's true, but I like the sound of it, so I'm going to go with it. Bobby D, Sharon Stone, Joe Pesci, Don Rickles, Alan King, Kevin Pollock, and, of course, Frank Vincent. 
and uh, quite quite a remarkable cast, actually. And um, as far as critical reception goes, are you ready for this? Yeah. Jonathan Rosenbaum from Chicago. <laughs> People of Chicago. They just don't like movies in Chicago. I don't know what it is. They just, they're concerned about their Pepsi and their pizza. That is the only and thing that they want. Dish, deep dish pizza. <laughs> yeah. And their, and their chrome beans. And the bears. <laughs> the bears. The bulls. The White Sox. I don't know if that counts. <laughs> yeah. The Cubs. <laughs> anyway, Mr. Rosenbaum says simultaneously quite watchable and passionless. Wow. No passion. Passion fruit. Uh, let's see here. Dennis Schwartz from Dennis Schwartz Movie Reviews says overlong and tedious crime drama epic, a kinetic behind the scenes look. At the Vegas casinos. And so the behind the scenes look is actually one of my favorite things about this movie. I don't know how accurate it is, but it seems like it works. <laughs> I was just eating it up. So I'm along for the ride there. Uh, let's see here. Uh, PJ Nabarro. He says, PJ, I like that. You know I do. For all you Robin Hood fans. Um Let's see. Uh, Scorsese's skill at creating brevity out of such a kaleidoscopic canvas commands respect, though there's the nagging sense that he's running through something of a formula, which is interesting because I mentioned formula in my notes. So I think uh, PJ might be on to something. Yeah. <laughs> Richard Schickle from Time Magazine says, so long as Casino stays focused on the excess of language, of violence, and ambition in the lifestyles of the rich and infamous, it remains a smart, it remains a smart knowing, if often repetitive spectacle. Hmm. All right. So there you have it. Uh, box office, you're looking at a budget of $52 million. Pulled in a whopping $9 million of that on November 26, 1995. It grossed 42 million here in the United States and had a whopping 116 million worldwide box office gross. Oh wow, so we just missed the 25th anniversary of it essentially. Yeah. Man, I did not That's know that. crazy. That is pretty crazy to think. 25 years ago this film was made. I'm trying to think. I saw Star Trek Generations like the week before. Oh no, that was ninety four. Maybe it was, maybe it was heat like the week at like December, December seventh, nineteen ninety five. When did heat come out? I feel like it was ninety five because I think that <clears throat> De Niro was like constantly working in the nineties. Yeah, it's like how many movies you got, bro? So heat came out uh, December seventeenth, nineteen ninety five. So I was off by ten days. But wow, yeah. So I remember seeing them around the same time. <laughs> I was like, didn't I just see this movie? Um, <laughs> like, this guy is busy. He likes to work. Um, yeah. But yeah, two two good Bobby D's in a row. There you go. Uh, ooh, is this the part where I read you some fun trivia facts? Yeah. Cool. So most of the conversations between Bobby D, Robert De Niro, and Joe Pe <laughs> and Joe Pesci were improvised. Martin Scorsese uh, would tell them where to start and where to end. The rest was up to them. And I think that's so cool because we'll talk about it later. But the dynamic duo of De Niro and Pesci is is just uh, kismic. I mean, it's like 
I don't know. It's unfathomable. It has no fathoms. It's so fathom. it's <laughs> it's uh they're they're fantastic together and I really love how they they improved. Um brilliant when I when I read that and I think about it now. The costume budget or the costume budget for the film was one million dollars. Robert De Niro had 70 different costumes throughout the film. Sharon Stone had 40. Both were allowed to keep their costumes afterwards. And I thought that that part when he had uh, the Texas guy, the world man from Texas come into his into his office. And he's like, oh, send him in in one minute. And he's just in a nice shirt and a nice shirt and tie. But he's just in his underwear and his shoes. (laughs) I thought that was so weird. But because your pants um, get wrinkles and he's got to look good. Oh, I just thought it was because he was working so much that he like gets changed in his office. No, I, but, think, I think he just didn't want any wrinkles in his suit. Uh, okay. But I did love his suits. They were bright. They were very Vegas-esque um, in the 60s, 70s, and I, I, I dug it. I thought it was really cool. I like how his tie was always the same color as his shirt. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, he, uh, he, was, a, he was a sharp-dressed man. So. Yeah. Uh, Joe Pesci's wife uh, at the time of filming, Claudia Haro, played Trudy, the co-hostess and band leader of Aces High. Haro and Pesci divorced and she remarried. She was convicted in 2000 of two counts of attempted murder for hiring a hitman to try and kill her other ex-husband, a stuntman. Jesus Christ, yeah. what is Scorsese <laughs> going to make a movie about that? Pretty good. Holy buckets. Jeez. Uh, Martin Scorsese directed this movie in such a way that just about every scene passed Pascal Cano Remo um, is in in a bright spotlight. Uh, a bright spotlight shines down upon him, but no other cast members in the scene. This is clearly evident during the final scene between the mob bosses. Okay, Remo is the to, head uh, mob boss. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I might have to not watch it again for that reason. But um, so there's no plot at all. Martin Scorsese said in an interview included on the Blu-ray, it's three hours, no plot. <laughs> so, you know, this going in, there's a lot of action, a lot of story, but no plot. Uh, I mean, kind of the plot is to make money, right? So um, this is the third Martin Scorsese film in which Robert De Niro, Joe Pesci and Frank Vincent appeared following Raging Bull. Oh, Raging Bull, Goodfellas. And I guess this. So this is the eighth collaboration between Scorsese and De Niro. The Irishman is their ninth. Holy buckets. Crazy, right? They've been uh, been working together for quite a while. Uh, Which one is Frank Vincent? Uh, He is his buddy that beats him with the bat at the end. Oh, Frank. He plays Frank in that one. Oh, I don't like you. Yeah. Yeah. I heard I hear a little girl, Frankie. <laughs> uh, what happened to the tough guy? I told my friend to stick this pen up his ass. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? <laughs> oh, my God. I love that movie so much. I know. So, all right. Well, uh, so this is a very long movie, but I will see if this synopsis will try to sum it up a bit. So this is from Wikipedia. Wiki Wiki. In 1973, sports handicapper quick, quick. and... <laughs> fast, fast. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, un, un, un momento, otra vez. In 1973, sports handicapper and mafia associate Sam Ace Rothstein is sent by the Chicago outfit to Las Vegas, Nevada to run the Teamsters-funded Tangiers Casino, while Philip Green serves as the mob's hotel CEO frontman. Sam doubles the casino's profits, which are skimmed by the mafia before taxes are paid. Mafia boss Remo Gaggi sends Sam's childhood friend and mob enforcer, Nicky Santoro, Nicky's younger brother, Dominic, and Frankie Marino to protect uh, Sam and the skimming operation. Nicky's volatile temper and Chicago criminal background eventually get him placed into the Nevada Black Book, banning Nicky from every casino in Nevada. 
Dominic and Frankie gather their own experienced mob crew and often engage in non-sanctioned shakedowns and elaborate burglaries instead. Sam meets and falls in love with beautiful hustler, dancer, and former prostitute Ginger McKenna. They have a daughter and marry, but their marriage is quickly thrown into turmoil due to Ginger's relationship with her former boyfriend, con artist turned pimp, Lester Diamond. And what a name, Lester Diamond. He's my favorite, dude. I fucking Uh, hate James Woods, but mm -hmm. he is awesome. Like, it's a perfect fit for him in this movie. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's a scumbag. Where are you going? Going to that place. (laughs) I need you here. (laughs) Yeah. And I need your money. Yeah, no, he's fucking great. I got him a nice watch. Like, oh, tw- 25 suits? Like 25 suits? How did it get fitted for them suits so fast? I mean, I can't even get fitted that fast. <laughs> oh, man. Like, I'm a man from Olivia in a fucking box. <laughs> oh, man. Sam has Nikki and his crew beat Lester when they catch him conning Ginger out of $25,000. Ginger turns to alcohol and develops an increasingly problematic drug addiction. In 1976, Sam fires slot manager Don Ward for incompetence. <laughs> that, that fucking Momo. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, shoot. You're right. Dang it, Mr. Rothstein. <laughs> Three jackpots in 20 minutes and you don't call me? <laughs> oh man, that's fucking great. When uh, when, War- when Ward's brother-in-law, Clark County Commission Chairman Pat Webb, fails to convince Sam to rehire Don, Webb arranges for Sam's gaming license to be denied, jeopardizing his position. Sam blames Nikki's re- uh recklessness for ongoing police and Nevada gaming board pressure, and the two argue furiously in the Mojave Desert. Sam starts hosting a local television talk show, upsetting both Nikki and the Chicago bosses for making himself such a public figure and bringing unwanted attention to their operations. <laughs> These guys don't give a fuck about the Supreme Court and that bullshit! <laughs> God, I love this movie so much! <sighs> F- folks, it's gonna be one of those episodes where Justin's just gonna quote the entire thing. <laughs> Oh, man, it's so funny. Spoiler alert. Yeah. The, uh, the the Midwest Mafia bosses install incompetent Kansas City underboss, underboss Artie Piscano. I love him when he's like, but what about I, I, my expenses? I got to like, keep records of this. <laughs> no records, Artie. The guy with this voice that sounds like he's going to fucking die any second. And he's like, no no expenses, Artie. He's like, yo, come on. You got to go back out there and talk to that guy. No records, Artie. <laughs> No records. <laughs> uh, so they install the incompetent Kansas City underboss, Artie Piscano, to oversee all cash tr- transactions. Piscano writes everything he knows about the operations in a notebook. The FBI, having wired Piscano's store, are spurred into investigating Sam's casino. Sam seeks to divorce Ginger, who kidnaps their daughter, planning to flee to Europe with her and Lester. Sam convinces Ginger to return with Amy, then overhears her planning on the phone to kill him. Sam kicks her out of the home, but later relents. Ginger approaches Nikki to get valuables from Sam's safe deposit box, and the two start an affair. Sam confronts and disowns Ginger and ends his friendship with Nikki. Nikki throws Ginger out when she demands he kill Sam. Drunk and furious, Ginger crashes her car into Sam's on the driveway, into Sam's car on the driveway, and retrieves the key to their deposit box. She takes the contents of the box, but is arrested by the FBI as a witness. In 1979, the FBI closes the casino, and Green eventually cooperates with them. Piscano dies of a heart attack when federal agents discover his notebook. The FBI approaches Sam for help by showing him photos of Nikki and Ginger together, but he turns them down. 
The bosses are arrested and put on trial and start to arrange the murders of anyone who might testify against them and prolong their subsequent sentences. Ginger dies of a, a drug overdose and Sam barely escapes death of a car bomb, suspecting Nikki to be the culprit. Before Sam can take revenge, the bosses, angered by Nikki's legal issues and apparent unauthorized attempt on Sam's life, order Frankie and his crew to ambush Nikki and Dominic. Under the impression that they are attending a meetup in, in Indiana cornfield, they are beaten with baseball bats covered in quicklime and buried alive in a shallow grave. When the mob or with the mob now out of licensing fronts, big corporations buy and demolish the casinos to make way for new larger hotel casinos, which Sam laments. He retires to San Diego and lives as a sports handicapper, ending up in his own words, right back where I started. And that's casino. <laughs> <laughs> So what a good movie. Long synopsis, but as you can tell, um, Justin absolutely loved it. So let's just jump right into it then, man. You go ahead. Yeah. So I mentioned I saw in the theater when it came out. When was the first time you watched Casino and where do you rank it amongst other Scorsese films? Uh, so this was probably, I, I, I probably saw this in about 2004, actually. So, uh, nine years after it came out, which is weird to think about, honestly. Um, but I, I got it from Netflix when it was, uh, DVDs only, uh, slappers only. And I, I, I really liked it when I saw it, but I also didn't really like the hardcore violence. Uh, so like the pen scene, I just, I hated it. Uh, I hated when, when Nikki and Dominic get just beat with baseball bats at the end. I, I, it made me almost sick to watch it. And cause I was, a, you know, I was like a 17 year old kid. I didn't know nothing about nothing, but, uh, I never really appreciated Martin Scorsese's films. Also, I honestly didn't know who he was and I, like, I never saw Goodfellas or anything like that. But as I, as I grew up, I think that Casino, like I've appreciated so much more because of the body of work of Scorsese. And I think that this has got to be like probably number three for me in terms of Martin Scorsese films, if that's what we're what we're talking about. Yeah, just his films. So, yeah, probably number three for me. Uh, but I, I it, you know, it, I, I have to be honest, it would be an interchanging film because just talking with you right now and, and thinking upon it and even answering these questions like. Yeah, it's uh it's it's a goddamn good movie. But <laughs> I got your head in a fucking yeah. vice. <laughs> I know. Like a fucking grapefruit if you don't give me a name. Oh my god, I love these. Like Charlie M, you made me pop your fucking eye out for that piece of shit. <laughs> oh my god, I fucking love it. Oh, sorry. Yeah. No, it's all good. <laughs> so you said number three and it's interchangeable. What are one and two? So I think number one is probably The, the Departed, uh -huh. just for the the lasting effect that that had on me. And I mean, that was my true exposure to Martin Scorsese, like where I'd be like, oh, I know directors. And then I went back and I'm like, oh, yeah, I've seen Gangs of New York and I've seen uh, Raging Bull and stuff. But I think it was like The Departed and then probably. Um, uh, oh, goodness, I lost it. Uh, maybe. Yeah, I'm thinking maybe Wolf of Wall Street for number two. But the more I look at this, I'm like, man, I really like this movie a lot. Like, I was really glad we watched this. So this might climb up there. And I need to rewatch Goodfellas. Because if I rewatch Goodfellas, I feel like I'm going to like that one a lot more than I did when I was younger. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. So Goodfellas is, I really enjoy Goodfellas. A lot of people rank that over Casino, which is totally fine. I just think that Goodfellas at the end, when it jumps to like the 80s and sort of him just driving all over town and a helicopter following him, it loses something for me. Like I don't, I no longer enjoy the movie. I'm just kind of waiting for it to end. Whereas I don't get that with casino. Right. If I had to compare the two and I, and yeah, I can't, I, 
I have a really hard time getting into anything that Lorraine Bracco does. And, you know, she's his wife. He's she's Henry Hill's wife. And so she's in like every goddamn scene. And so which is fair. I mean, she's a leading role in the, in the movie. But I just I don't know. I don't get it. I don't connect with her. And so even Sopranos is always a tough sell for me because she's his psychiatrist in that movie or in that show. Mm. And I'm just like, Fuck. <laughs> she's in this. <laughs> I remember when I first watched it. Like this first season, I'm just I see her sitting in the chair. I'm like. Oh man, it's gonna be a long show. <laughs> but uh, I mean, I, I got past it. I mean, she's great. I just um, it was always a tough sell for me. And right. uh, typically, the wives in these movies tend to be characters you don't like. Uh, they're just kind of written that way. Uh, and you know, we'll get into that here shortly. But uh, she's a tough character. I mean, yes, I agree that you could be sympathetic for them, but in both cases, they adapted to the life or at least they tried to like they wanted to be part of it they were they like the jewels they like the money they like the excitement that comes with it they just get over it <laughs> and they're not allowed right. to leave <laughs> right so it's unfair for sure um but what can you do now do you actually enjoy mob movies are you a uh, mob movie kind of guy I, you know, kind of, I, I have this buddy, his name's Matt Geyer and he's a huge gangster film fan. He, you know, he loves all those like Scarface and Goodfellas and whatnot. Um, I like them, but I can't always get into them. I've never really found that, that life of crime to be glor glorified, I guess. Sure. But, uh, they're always really long too. All the movies are just so long. They're a marathon, right. but, um, and like me personally, honestly, I think Scarface is overrated. I did not enjoy that movie when I saw it, but uh, yeah, it's, I don't know. Mob movies are interesting for me. I'm not, uh, I'm not a huge, huge fan of them, but yeah, they're okay. That's fair. There's some good ones. Yeah, like, there are some good ones. Like mobsters. <laughs> <laughs> Richard Grieco and Christian Slater and, and Mick Dreamy. What's his yeah. name? I forget his name. Like dreamy. I do, uh, you know, but I, I mean, I have seen a decent amount, so I do have a top five if you want to hear that. Oh, sure. I would love to hear your top five of mob movies. Okay. So my top five probably um, would be like The Godfather, The Godfather Part 2. So uh, you the rank Depart the first one over? Are you going in order like one through five or are you doing um, five through one? So I think Part 2 is, I'm going one through five. Part 2 is... It's been so long since I've seen both. I just remember I really liked the first one a lot. And then part two, I really, really liked. But I don't remember if it was better than the first. So I think I just put The Godfather 1 and then The Godfather Part 2. So I know a lot of people say The Godfather Part 2 is better than the original. But I don't know. I think I think that it's filmed in a way to where it's a superior film. But yeah. um, I do think that it's... And there's two timelines happening. You know, you get to see right. Robert De Niro play his father, Vito Corleone, right. and grow up and and come into power and everything. So that's kind of cool. Um, but it can be slow. It's a long movie. It's 200 minutes. I know it's really long. <laughs> it's really long. So, and this is, this is coming from a guy who loves Lord of the Rings. <laughs> so I'll watch it all the goddamn time, but yeah, it's just, it's, it's a, it's a uh, marathon, but so anyway, so yeah, the Godfather, Godfather part two, the departed, uh, the untouchables, and then uh Corky Romano. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I think Road to Perdition is, is on there, not Corky Romano. So, 
I thought you'd get a kick out of that. I thought it'd be funnier, but you didn't laugh. So. I like it. I think it's funny. <laughs> you guys want some cookies? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I say I add there to everything because of that. Movie. I know. But Road to, Perdi- <laughs> Road to Perdition is so good. And I think we, we discussed that a long time ago about, about doing that for an episode. But um, yeah, I just, I mean, Paul Newman is, is, is on point in that film. And so is Daniel Craig. And so is Tom Hanks, as always. But uh, really good movie. So anyways, do you have a top five? Of mob movies? Uh, nah, not really. I mean, Casino's probably, uh, Casino's probably my favorite. Uh, that's over Godfather 1, 2, and Scarface, and, uh, you know, Road to Perdition is pretty good, but I I honestly think that Casino's my favorite. Yeah, nothing wrong with that. Yeah, that's fucking awesome. <laughs> I love this movie. It's so good. So quotable. Oh, my God. I know. And the thing is, like, Goodfellas, a lot of people always quote Goodfellas. And I do, too. I'm very guilty of it. I love Goodfellas. I love it a lot. And, um, you know, I'm always <laughs> like, uh, I thought I thought. You know, I know I thought you said I'm all right. <laughs> I am all right. You're not all right. I, I think it's highly quotable. But... Uh, I do think that uh, Casino is just better. It's more enjoyable for me. And the last time I watched Goodfellas, the second to last time I watched Goodfellas was the same day that I lost my cat. She, I had to I had to put my cat down that day. And now whenever I think of Goodfellas, I think of the day I lost my kitty. <laughs> so it's like, it's, it's <laughs> not good. <laughs> so it's Aww. now marred with a bad memory. And I just wanted to put something on, you know, just so I had something on the background because I was so sad and devastated. And um, and all it did was backfire. I was like, you know what? I really enjoy it. Same with Happy Gilmore. I watched Happy Gilmore that same day. And now I just I don't laugh as much as I used to because I think of my kitty. His name was Simmered Down now. Aww. And uh, <laughs> yeah, devastated. But what can you do? So. Let's begin, shall we? Let's officially start the podcast <laughs> 35 <laughs> minutes into this. Uh, yeah, cas- whatever. <laughs> casino almost plays out like two films attached at the hip. You know, the first being that of a documentary on how a casino operates. We get a deep dive into where the money comes from, who's running the place, uh, how they got into that position, and work our way down the totem pole from the very top of the Teamsters Union all the way to the valets. And the second half of the film half a half of one of these things a half the second half of the film deals with the hard crash that comes with the fall relationships are tested enemies are created and ultimately lives are lost to a mixture of violence drugs and just plain old tragedy uh this of course is a long film sitting at a whopping three hour runtime at any point did you ask yourself when is this going to be over or were you engaged from start to finish so I ended up watching it while I was like working too. I had some downtime, so I did have to pause it a decent amount, but uh, that didn't take away from my enjoyment at all. And I was engaged the entire time. Um, so I think that that's a testament to Mr. Scorsese because I think it's just it's how he creates his films. He has this eye to detail and his his attention. He he draws all this attention from his actors and they all give their their A plus game, man. I mean, all the actors are spot on, even Don Rickles, like he doesn't have a ton of lines in it, but he's he's really good and, and convincing as a number two casino ma- manager. Right. Right. Um, and so all of us, Scorsese's stories are just so captivating. And I constantly found myself just really enthralled in this movie. And uh, I, I think that speaks, you know, miles for someone. But um, Scorsese is really one of those great directors. And he's honestly, arguably one of the greatest directors of all time. So I, after watching Casino, I know now that 
I probably should dive into his library uh, with a better um, eye and and knowing film a lot more now. So I need to just absorb more of his genius. Uh, sure. Even like I was saying earlier, how I like The Irishman now. It's it's really really long, but I I ultimately absolutely loved it because I think it's just his culmination of everything that he's done. Um, and so he like he uses a lot of the same tropes uh, to use. He uses a lot of the same tropes in his films and uh, narration is a, a big one. I think that's one of the most uh, overlying ones that everyone sees all the time. Um, he ex- he uses that, though, to like kind of explain mundane operations or the plans of a crime so well, because um, you were talking about the casino, like the, the the inner workings of the casino, how it's all kind of like how the money works, how the dealers work. It's like, you know, the dealers watching this person, the pit boss is watching that person, the floor manager is watching the pit boss, so on and so forth. Um, it just really commands your attention. And it's funny because I actually had to rewind a bit because there were there were long gaps in my work day where I uh, I was eating chips and I, I got distracted from like key dialogue points. And so I had to rewind it a bit. I'm like, God damn it, these tortilla chips. But I kept eating them. So, so loud. Uh, yeah, they were. I was I even had subtitles on because I watch movies with subtitles. But uh, I was like, oh, hang on a second, because there was too many fugazis and all that kind of stuff in there. So I had to rewind it a bit. But no, I was captivated the whole time, man. And I think three hours was good for this. Uh, that's why I'm like, it's hard to sit down and rewatch it again. But uh, it was I was very, very entertained. Yeah. So I used to whenever I play World of Warcraft, I would have it on on like a second monitor just so like I knew that three hours had went by while I was playing this game. I'm like, Jesus Christ, <laughs> I've been playing this game for three hours. Uh, just So I know, like I said, like a time limit for myself. So I, I have seen this movie or at least had it on in the background an ungodly number of times. Right. I, I just, I love it so much. I love everything about it. I think it is so fucking funny and just amazing. So let's talk about Ginger. You know, she's, she's a hard character to like. And, um, you know, I say that full well, knowing that Ace is a total dick and that Nikki is absolutely the worst. I really think Sharon Stone knocked it out of the park with this role. Um, you know, she did a fantastic job of making us hate her character and it's hard to enjoy her scenes. Did you feel that way or were you able to look past that? Yeah, I didn't I didn't like her one bit. Uh, I think Sharon Stone and w- w- did a remarkable job at distracting us from knowing her as like Sharon Stone, you know, as basic instinct. She she fully created this character of Ginger and and I, w- I was bought into it. Um, at first, I was intrigued by her. I could see why Sam had this uh, affinity for her. Uh, but then he even the, the voiceover narration who's omnipresent just kind of shows, you know, she's sleeping around. She's giving money to Lester Diamond and all that. Um, like she was an awful person. <laughs> she was an awful person. And and honestly, and she deserved the worst. I, I wholeheartedly believe that. But with that being said, I actually also felt bad for her, too. Um, you know, she th- this is, again, the brilliance of Scorsese's writing is they never directly give her backstory. It's just uh, it's just um, ascertained through dialogue. And so she became a prostitute at 14 years old because Lester's like, you know, that 14 year old girl smiling at me with the braces and she fell in love with her pimp. She got hooked on drugs and booze and she just couldn't leave her old life behind her. And I thought it was so tragic and so sad, Uh, but it still didn't excuse her from kidnapping Amy or cheating on Sam. Um, I mean, that was pretty hardcore, man. She's like doing lines of cocaine in front of her. And I'm like, just fucking this fucking lady. But we're, we're not gonna go see any fucking elephants, okay? The adults are talking. <laughs> yeah, and letting let Lester shit. talk to her. <laughs> yeah, and letting that piece of shit talk to her and stuff. Oh, like, you know where she gets this from? 
I know. <laughs> oh. And she just she was sticking her tongue out at him. Yeah. I thought that was really funny. <laughs> He's too. like, oh, 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 oh shit. <laughs> Gonna send her to Bolivia in a box. Oh my god, I love it, love it, love it, love it. I tried to name one of my WoW characters Lester Diamond once, and it was taken. That was sad. You should have done Diamond with like a one or something like that instead of an I. (laughs) Diwomond. He's so great. Yeah. Now, when was the last time you went to Las Vegas? Dude, so uh, I went, the last time I went was February 2018. Um, I would have actually have gone twice this year. I had a, a June birthday plan. <laughs> twice last year? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what that's from. It's from, there's something about Mary. When he's like, have you ever been to Santiago, Chile? And Tucker's like, twice <laughs> last year? Have you ever seen the soccer stadium? Did you build the Stadio Olimpico? Oh, God. <laughs> So uh, I went, uh, yeah, February 2018, I went for the Super Bowl with some friends, and that was pretty fun. Uh, we did a lot of sports bets, and we ate a lot of good food. So, um, But it's it's funny, because after, after never having to been, been to Vegas, like my entire life, uh, I started going back in 2017, and in the span of maybe one and a half years, I went three times. Um, I absolutely love Las Vegas, and I, I know that's very contradictory to kind of who I am because I'm a huge outdoors person. Like you look at my Twitter, you look at my Instagram and all that, and it's just mountains and snow and what have you and bikes and everything. But, um, there's something about Vegas that I absolutely just love. It's, it's, it's a place where you can, you can be anybody you want. You can be a Lester diamond, you can create a a persona, you know, and it's like adult Disneyland. I love to go people watching. I love to go eat to watch the live shows. I'm not a huge gambler, but it's it's just a fun place to kind of let loose for a weekend. And so I think I, I that's why I love to go back and watching movies like Casino or Ocean's Eleven are so fun to me, especially Casino, because you get to see the old strip, like everything you see in Fremont in the old Vegas. It's like that, except way more and way more authentic, I guess you could say. Uh, so it's 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 so amazing to me to see that kind of that novel history that is Vegas. You know what I mean? So, um, I do, I do plan on going back. I've been looking at flights again, but you know, everything's still kind of closed because of the, because of the COVID. So it's going to be a while before I go back and, and can feel safe again. But, um, I really do like it there. So I don't know how, how many times have you gone? Uh, I've been to Vegas quite a few times, but I, I mean, I, I lived like three hours away from it for the longest time. So I was kind of always going, but uh, I went the last time I went was in the summer of 2017 and it wore me out, man. Like I was like, fuck, am I too old for this shit now? <laughs> like I just, I couldn't, I couldn't rage like I used to, you know, no more, no more cocaine off of a prostitute's ass. I just can't, can't keep up. <laughs> and so, um, it was a little bit more tame, like more, more of the comedy shows, uh, type of thing, but, um, it was fun. I had a good time, but I, when it was, it was like a Friday through Sunday and that was plenty. So, um, I was, I was writing yet. And yeah, so a three, a, a, uh, just a weekend is, is perfect. Friday through Sunday is like perfect. You can't go any longer than that. Cause then it just becomes too much. Yeah. I have this, this insane Vegas story where I ended up just naked in the bathroom <laughs> and dude, it was so, it was so, we were like, at a, me and Dave was, ki- was your kidney missing? No, no, no. So, it was two thirds of the Geek Legacy podcast was at Vegas, and we were partying hard. It was like a, a bachelor party, and we got so stupid drunk, and 
I somehow I miraculously made it from the bar to the bathroom. And when David came to check on me after like 30 minutes of being gone, I'm just like standing there naked. He's <laughs> like, what are you doing? I'm like, man, it's hot in here. And so I, was like, I took off all my clothes. And uh, yeah, it was nuts. And so that was very irresponsible. That was like 22 year old Justin. And um, whew, it was uh, it was quite a journey. And, um, hot for penguins. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, man. So fast forward 18 years, and uh, I'm just like, fuck, I'm too old for this shit. So it's hard to, no mechanical bulls or cocaine for me, man. I'm I'm over it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's still really fun. Like, I don't, it, Vegas doesn't have to be what you see on The Hangover or uh, what's that movie with Christian Slater and Daniel Stern? Yeah, very, very bad, bad things. things. Yeah. <laughs> it don't have to be. It don't have to be no very bad things. Uh, but it can still be really fun. It can be an Ocean's Eleven kind of trip. Sure. So where you and the boys go knock over a casino. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. It's been done before. It's been tried yeah. before. Um, so <laughs> did you mention people watching? Did um, Did you notice any people that look like they could be mobsters, or were they mostly just shameless tourists with tacky clothes and a couple of cowboys? I always see cowboys when I'm in Vegas. <laughs> always it's like a thing what you gotta understand here mister <laughs> whatever sam is you're just a visitor you think you own the place yeah. mr uh, rothstein mr rothstein so uh you know I, I i i when i go to vegas i i love to people watch and that's a big reason i love it um and justin i travel a lot i travel internationally i travel locally i'm like pitbull and mr worldwide uh, and I see people from all across the globe. And honestly, Americans are easily the worst tourists as as just a general generality, like stereotyping Americans. We are uh, pretty awful tourists. And Vegas is that culmination of said like worst tourists. Um, I'm I'm sure that I have seen somebody who's maybe like a, a made man, like like funny, like how, like, haha. Uh, but I was I was too entertained by some dork in like a I heart Las Vegas tank top shorts, yeah. like a really bad sunburn and one of those, a cart on yep, the strip. Yeah. <laughs> And one of those one of those really long yard slushy drinks yeah. that uh, are way too expensive. Don't have enough alcohol in them. It's even bigger it's, than the red drink. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Wayne Newton, do you need a bodyguard? I die for you. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but I think it's so funny because that that Randy Quaid character from Vegas Vacation is not far off from what I've seen. Right. That's that's what I mean by tacky tacky tourists. Is like it's. it's it, yeah, it's so weird. And and so I just like to seriously go to places and we'll have like some drinks outside or we'll walk around and drink and we just look at people. Um, I I still have a really good time. Like I always bring a suit. I think we talked about this on Kingsman. I always bring a suit with me to Vegas and I have a night where I go out. And I mean, that's fun in itself, too, because people are always like, oh, damn, like, what do you do? And I'm like, I own a maple syrup conglomerate. and <laughs> just, just some bullshit. I lie about things, but who cares? It's all in good fun. So, yeah. What if they I ask us questions about maple syrup? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Holy, holy shirts and pants. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I mean, I, I, I definitely like Vegas. I had, I've had rooms with like hot tubs in them and that just kind of is a game changer uh, as opposed to just like the public pool aspect of it, you know? And uh, it's just kind of fun to just unwind at the end of the day. I just always feel dirty. It's 100 fuck degrees in Vegas like all day long, oh, even at yeah. like two in the morning. It's like still 100. And you're like, really? That's <laughs> <laughs> why, why nothing grows out here. Just, the only thing that grows is buildings because they're just always putting up new 
hotels and casinos and things. But but um, I do like the swimming pools when it's hot out. It's really fun to go in the swimming pools. I mean, even though it's a cesspool, <laughs> no pun intended, uh, of, of just like d- disease and whatever. It's they're really fun, man. I, on a hot day, it's so cool. Yeah, I don't I don't do ice water. <laughs> Lots of ice water. <laughs> and a fan. <laughs> yeah. One of the ones that sprays the water at you. You know. What a now you actually talked about this for a second. Scorsese has you know, he has this this way of glorifying or romanticizing the criminal world, at least for the first half of all of his movies, like Goodfellas or Casino. And then um there's something really cool about these characters and you know, you you really like them, you know, like they're just kind of fun to watch. And eventually these bad guys get sloppy, they make mistakes, and they usually end up dead, of course. And um, you know, uh, are you usually along for the ride and, you know, could see yourself enjoying this lifestyle or do you, um, do you know what's coming next and just say pass? Like, like, is this the, 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 like having the knowledge of his storytelling formula, like that one guy, like one reviewer said, like they're just sort of a formula to Scorsese films. Does that, that is that hinder on your viewing experience or do you take the approach of, you know, it's not about the ending, but rather the journey. So one great thing that if if not predictable that Martin Scorsese does in his films is he provides this cautionary tale to his viewers. So The Wolf of Wall Street is a great example. You you can have it all, but there will always be a price to pay and a and a huge fall from grace. Jordan Belfort uh, started from nothing, worked his way up, had everything, was greedy, used excess, and then had a huge fall from grace. And it usually involves the feds or something like that, where you're getting too big for your britches. So Scorsese warns us in his movies about the about this excess and greed. And knowing this, that this is going to happen, that this is his formula, I would definitely pass on having a mob lifestyle where, you know, your loyalty can only get you so far in life because like Nikki's loyal to him, but only to a certain extent. And, you know, trust is even harder to maintain between people because Nikki thought he could trust Frank the entire time or Frankie the entire time. And then boom, Frankie is tasked by the bosses to kill him. So it's like his right hand man for, you know, how many decades turns around and kills him. So the mob lifestyle, as, as cool as the glitz and glam might be, there's no way I would. That's a hard pass for me, homie. Um, but with with Scorsese, you know, his films are always just about the journey for me. Like you were saying, um, I I'm OK with the runtime because it's about the journey for me. And I typically know how they're going to end. But that's a lot of I mean, a lot of films in that way where you're at a high point, you hit a you hit a peak and then it's a huge crash to reality. So like Goodfellas, Raging Bull, The Wolf of Wall Street, The Departed, The Irishman. He just does such a great job at telling a story or just like adapting a story from true events. But yeah, no, that's fair. I agree. I mean, for me, it's 100 percent about the journey. Like I honestly am expecting every single character in one of these films to die. And if they make it, it's a surprise, it's a little treat. At the end, I'm like, oh, okay, they made it. Good for you. Oh my god, oh my god, a poster of you now because you made it. You're the best. <laughs> we make some some trading cards and an action figure. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you've 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 made it. You made it big. Oh man, and like at the end of the casino when he's got those glasses, I fucking love those glasses. I want to get a pair so bad. He's got these huge, gaudy, gross, like thick lens glasses. Uh, he being Bobby D, Sam Rothstein, and uh, I want them so bad. I thought you already had some. I thought you had Elliot Gould glasses. I have Elliot Gould glasses, but I don't have Bobby D. These ones are huge. (laughs) I mean, they would take up my entire face, and I I, got to get them. I have to have them. It is a moral imperative that I own these glasses. Whether I can see through them or not, I have to own a (laughs) pair of these things. 
Fair enough. My goodness. Now let's talk about the music. Scorsese films, at least his mob-centered ones, tend to have a pretty cool soundtrack. Of course, that's usually reflected by the times. You know, it's like the 50s, 60s, and 70s. Did you enjoy the music in this film? Um, or did at times it seem like it was kind of all over the place and a bit annoying? Uh, I mean, I like his music selections. And he uses a lot of the same stuff, though, in his movies. And he fucking loves the Rolling Stones for some reason. Yeah. It's always Gimme Shelter or whatever. Yeah, it's his, but, uh, it's his era, man. <laughs> yeah. It's so like, how it, many it, times am I going to hear this rape murder? I know. <laughs> it's so. just a shot away. It's just a shot away. Yeah, it, do, it does pretty well. But I, I don't think it was my favorite part or it really enhanced the movie for me. And honestly, like, I'm impartial because I didn't really. I know the music was there, but I was just so focused on the story that it didn't really do that much for me i think it's better used in goodfellas when he uses i think give me shelter in one of those scenes it's just i can't remember what part it is but i yeah i do remember it had an impactful moment on me so um i don't know i i I honestly didn't pay attention to it as much in casino yeah there's a couple like jazz songs and uh it's like uh really loud (laughs) and it's like (laughs) what is happening why is the music so loud um it's good stuff. I dig Is it, it like but dun dun dun? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Me and the blues. <laughs> oh jeez! All right, the babysitter so, blues. Right, <laughs> baby, baby, babysitter blues. Oh man, I love that movie. <laughs> man, I you know I I might have been mentioned on the show. Have I talked about Adventures of Babysitting on the show? Yeah, we've talked about it several times. Oh, man, I fucking love that movie so much. He says you're a homo. Yeah. Oh, man. You spreading rumors about me, Ken? <laughs> God, I love that movie. It's so funny. Can't talk, gotta run. Oh, man. That's good shit. So Joe Pesci was fantastic playing Nicky Santoro. Now, we've, we've kind of seen this role before, like what he had in Goodfellas, but... Um, you know, I was always so anxious when he was on screen, like his character is just such a wild man. And I had no idea what to expect, except that someone was probably going to get hurt. <laughs> and it almost stressed me out. You know, he slaps his wife. He stabs a guy with the pen that we talked about. He puts he puts uh, the dogs his head in a in a fucking vice. <laughs> it's like two fucking nights. <laughs> <laughs> doing this shit. Um, so, I mean, what were some of your favorite scenes with Nikki Santoro? Yeah, and it's it's crazy because I think Joe Pesci is such an underappreciated actor. I mean, I've I haven't really seen a poor performance from him. Shit, even as like uh, Harry in in Home Alone, I think he's he's phenomenal in that because in that same year, what Home Alone came out in ninety two, and then Goodfellas, I think, came out in ninety one. Maybe do you know when it came out? Uh, I think Goodfellas was like 1990. I don't know. I'll have to look it up. So you you have him go from this menacing, like, kills a guy because 90. he laughs. Yeah, yeah he, he kills a guy because he laughs to this hilarious burglar. And uh, he just does such a great job. And I think it's like, I really loved him in The Irishman, too, because he played such a different, quiet, refined role that we're not used to seeing Mr. Pesci play. And like every time he spoke in Casino, to someone anytime he spoke to anybody on film if there was the slightest hint of defiance by that other person or or attitude or what like i thought you 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 were you were taken in not taken out or whatever <laughs> he's like you, you know, laying no he goes yeah. he's like, you taken i thought you was laying oh no i'm yeah. taken uh, by the way uh, home alone was also 1990 both uh holy shit yeah so look yeah, at that like two two films. very yeah. very highly contrasted films and so 
But anytime anybody would have this act of defiance, maybe against him, even the slightest, I figured they were a dead man. I figured he would, he had this kind of calculated move where he'd talk real slow and, and polite with him. And then I was like, oh, fuck, he's going to stab him. Like the banker, uh, when he starts oh, talking yeah. to him, I was like, oh boy, he's going to kill him right now, isn't he? And uh, he wouldn't bat an eye. It's just crazy. So he's just so menacing, yet, yet physically he's this short, chubby guy who I shouldn't be terrified of, but I was so terrified of him the entire film. Um, and in terms of, uh, I think you asked the, what scene, you were talking about the pen scene. Uh, I hated that. I hated the pen scene. It was it was uh, so violent, and I, that was one of the reasons it turned me off when I was younger. I mean, I liked, I appreciate it now because it, it, it speaks well to his character. It's, it establishes it in the first 15 minutes of the movie, what kind of guy uh frankie is or i'm sorry what kind of guy nikki santoro is and my favorite scene though was probably so it wasn't the pen scene but it was probably the um when the that country nephew with the feet on the table goes back to uh, joe pesci and he calls kicking mother yeah you (laughs) you, and he smacks him and he's like did you call my friend a faggot and all that kind of stuff (laughs) and like Tell him to go yeah. fuck himself. Oh my god! Yeah. You better hope that he lets you back in. And then he, after he beats him, he's like, he's already really sorry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, because it, it, it's funny because it's like two dads and a kid complains about something, but he's not getting the whole story. And I think it's just it, that shows a lot about their two characters, Nikki and Sam's, because they both have this respect where Sam is not afraid of uh, of Nikki in the sense of like, look, I know who he is, but. He disrespected me. I approached him politely. And there's certain rules for mobsters, uh, or at least according to these films, there's certain rules you have, you know. Um, Remo says it to, to Frank when he's like, hey, is Nikki sleeping with Sam's wife? You got to tell me in private. I don't think there's anything going like that. <laughs> I don't think there's anything going on like that, Remo. Yeah, cool. well, because they have these this code, you know, and it's, it's the same kind of thing. It's like, why are you disrespecting him? He, he politely asked you to take your shoes off the table and, and put them away and you're going to come back. And so it's uh, it was I thought that that was a really cool scene. Um, I really liked the desert scene because uh, Sam explains, you know, 99 times out of 100, I'd be fine. But this time I'm like 50 50 on what on what Nikki's going to do. And Nikki drives up, you know, pissed as hell. He's like, who do you get off talking about me behind my back and blah, blah, blah. Um, it's funny because you actually sent me an, an emoji of that scene, like right after I watched it. That was just uncanny timing. So, yeah, <laughs> oh my God. it was you good. Motherfucker, you. Oh, yeah. my God. I love so, that. Yeah. You only exist out here because of me. That's the only reason. Without me, you personally, every fucking wise guy, scale around here. Oh my god, I love that movie so much. Yeah, it's a it's a really well set up scene because of the narration that uh, that Nikki uses, where he's talking about the holes in the desert, and I mean, even even Sam says he's like, I don't see any holes around here, but still, <laughs> yeah. it's yeah, uh, in the opening, right? He's like. He's yeah. like, there's a lot of problems in Las Vegas, a lot of holes in Las Vegas, and a lot of problems are put are buried in those holes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like a lot of a lot of Vegas happens outside of the city, and so it's just kind of like, ooh. So, um, yeah, I, I, I yeah. <laughs> Let's forget you're still in the middle of the fucking desert. <laughs> <laughs> Two Vegas movies, man: Ocean's Eleven and Casino. Fuck. Yeah, I agree. 
But uh, and then finally, I think the the other scene I really like is um, the blowjob scene when he when Frank has those two ladies at, at uh, Nikki's restaurant. We're first introduced to Nikki's restaurant, and he takes one of the prostitutes or one of the ladies, and he's like, "Oh, let me show you the kitchen." And he starts talking real casually about the veal, and he's walking her to his car without skipping a beat. You know, he gets in, he's like, "Scoot over, honey, scoot over," and then just starts talking there, and then pushes her head down, and it's. It's so degrading and so wrong, but I think it just says so much about who Nikki thinks he is and what he's become. Because then he later does that when uh, him and uh, what is Sharon Stone's character's name again? Ginger. Uh, Ginger. When him and Ginger hook up, he starts kissing her and then shoves her head right down. <laughs> he's just <laughs> yeah. she's he's all confiding that guy. in him. Yeah, and she's like, "Oh, like, oh my god, thank you so much." And he's like, ah, "Okay, here you go." <laughs> That's what I mean. I think I think those, that's such a telling scene about who Nikki thinks he is. But uh, yeah, did you have any other uh, favorite scenes? Uh, I mean, I like everything that he's in. Every scene, like when he's covering his mouth, when he's running the survey, the counter surveillance stuff, when he's swapping out cars. I think that's really great. Uh, when he's just can't win when he's at the casino, he's just getting so mad. And he's like, how the fuck can you grin? And then the lady like claps out and then he claps out too. And then <laughs> he's like, uh, the poor dealer just keeps throwing down like face cards. Yeah. And he's just like, take this card and shove it up your ass and then shove it up your sister's ass. And he's like, that's right. Keep looking at him. <laughs> <laughs> and he just keeps hitting until he wins. And it's so funny. Fuck me, man. And then when he's like, my fucking head. <laughs> I love that too. Oh. oh my God. It's so good. Everything about it. He swears a lot too, man. I know. He says fuck a lot. Like in that desert scene, I was trying to count. I think it's like 20 times. It's yeah. crazy. He says a lot of uh, anti-Semitic and a lot yeah. of uh, a lot of hateful things are said from Nicky Santoro. And considering like one of his best friends is Sam and... uh he has no problem dropping lines like you know, he'll say like uh, really hateful bad. things. Yeah, very bad. So uh, Robert De Niro and Joe Pesci always work great together on screen. You mentioned that earlier. You know, there's something about their chemistry that reminds me of old Hollywood movies. And I'm always 100 percent engaged when the two share a scene together. Are there any other Hollywood actors that are out there that that you like seeing working together over and over again? Um, ooh, This one was tough. I was trying to think of some, but uh, I got, yeah, I got a few. I know that there's probably more out there, but um, yeah, probably like Simon Pegg and Nick Frost. I think they're just so great together. Um, ben Affleck and Matt Damon are also really, really good together. I would love to see if they did something else. Um, you know, RIP hunting for, too. <laughs> yeah, hunting it's hunting season. season. <laughs> How do you like them apples? Uh, Chris Farley and David Spade. Um, I was very saddened for Chris Farley, but I think that they were onto something amazing. And they had such great chemistry. Um, I really liked Leonardo DiCaprio and Brad Pitt. I would love to see more of what they did. And I, I yeah. think, you know, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, it was the perfect buddy film. And they just, they fed off of each other so well. And I would just watch a movie of them watching movies. Like that scene when they're watching Bounty Law um, is so brilliant. Um, I absolutely loved them. And then finally, Tina Fey and Amy Poehler. I, I crack up every time that they're on screen. Their dry sense of humor is just perfect, and I would love to see them in more roles. So, what about you? Did you think of any? No, I like all those examples, though. Yeah, and I like anything with Jason Bateman, and, and no matter who he's talking to, I, I just love him. <laughs> I do like I do like Jason Bateman a lot. Yeah, he is really good. And then, um, oh, uh, so Christian Bale, he's he's usually good with pretty much everybody, but I did like Ford v Ferrari a lot, and him and Matt Damon were just awesome together. So I would love to see another another 
type of role with him and Matt Damon when they're like best friends at odds or, or whatever. But like that was a surprise movie for me, Ford v. Ferrari. So, yeah, um, no, that's true. And I think even Mark Wahlberg and, uh, you know, the fighter with uh, Christian Bale and Mark Wahlberg, because I mean, oh, yeah, I think that that movie, I mean, Mark Wahlberg, you can you can argue plus or minus whether he's a good actor or not. But all the scenes with with Mickey and Dickie were great. Head, body, head. Yeah, exactly. Did you go to, did you go to school for that one? Um, <laughs> did you see American Hustle by chance? Yeah, I didn't like it there, that much. I mean, it was okay. Um, I know it was uh, David David S. Russell who did uh, the fighter, but it wasn't very David O. Good. Russell. David O. Russell. There we go. Not it wasn't like, very not like good. O'Malley, but O. Period Russell. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, I, I don't know. I enjoyed it enough. I love Amy Adams. I would love to see her. I, I, I mean, she's just such a great actor, but she does well with everybody. So I don't know. Yeah, well, that's fair. You know, that's tough, man. Because like even when he came out, it was a big deal when Al Pacino and Robert De Niro shared a scene together. You know, they had, they were in The Godfather 2 together, but they didn't share a scene. Right. Um, and then to have them sit down over coffee. It's pretty great. I had coffee with McKenna half an hour ago. Yeah, but they were in Heat together, weren't they? That's the movie I'm talking about. I said like, oh, when God. they were in Heat together, that was oh. like, great because that was the first time that they'd shared a screen together. They were in Godfather 2 together, Sorry. but they yeah. were they never shared a scene. For, for some reason, I was thinking, okay, so never mind. That's what I was thinking. I was thinking it was just Godfather 2, and then I was thinking The Irishman for some reason. But uh, no, 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 that makes sense. And then they were in a movie called like Righteous Kill together, which I never saw. But Oh, yeah, I forgot. It's a Righteous Kill, isn't it? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> the do, A do, Righteous <laughs> Kill? <laughs> Welcome to Righteous Kill Day. Do you um do you put it in the A or, or the R there? In the exactly. I don't know. It's a, I put it in the asterisks. <laughs> <laughs> Numbers go first. Eight Mile is the first movie in my collection. <laughs> three world. Unless three, there one, was three. a one mile, then that would be first. Or three thousand miles to Graceland. <laughs> oh yeah, you know, you know what? that movie. I didn't see when it came out. I saw that movie like for the very first time, like five years ago. Yeah, which is crazy to me because I love Kurt Russell and everything, but I hadn't. It just like came out, and I was like, "Oh yeah, that's cool." But then I never got around to watching it, and then I finally did. You know, the shootout at the end takes place in Mount Vernon, Washington, which is my hometown, Wow! <laughs> but it's but it's not filmed in Mount Vernon. It just says Mount Vernon police. And I'm like, what? <laughs> we don't have no barn like this in Mount Vernon. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty ridiculous, actually. The whole ending's ridiculous. That I know, movie so is stupid. ridiculous. It starts off really fun, but then it just gets a yeah. little crazy town banana pants. And then Kevin Costner is like, I have seen dry land. So. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he's kind of a crazy person in that movie. He doesn't do he's well as a bad guy. I no, just don't like see him. it. No, neither. I think I. Kurt Russell's a good bad guy. Like I he's agree. gross in um, Death, Proof. Death Proof. Yeah, Ugh, I don't like him at all. Stuntman Mike. Yeah, grosses me out, dude. Ugh, what can he do? I haven't watched his. He's kind of a weirdo now. Like, I try really hard. Like. It's really hard for me to separate the actor and their personal life from their work. And once they say or do something in in our time down here, <laughs> then I get really uh, just irritated and I can't support them anymore. 
Yeah. I don't know why that is. I mean, I don't make a fuss about it. Like, oh, cancel Kurt Russell or anything like that. But uh, as soon as they just, as soon as like an anti-masker starts saying some shit or an, an anti-vaxxer says something, I'm just like, oh, okay, I'm done with you. <laughs> or like yeah. if there's like a, uh, a sexual misconduct thing, um, you know, that's really, really hard for me to just support their work. I think the only person that has ever really escaped it in my mind has been Michael Jackson. And I don't know yeah. why that is. I just, I've always loved Michael's music. And when it comes on, I just crank it up and the, the pedophile noise gets drowned out yeah. by the good music. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. That one's, that one's tough and it's, it's, it's hard to get into without anybody having an opinion on, but I agree with you. I mean, it's just, it's hard to Dave Chappelle says it best. So like with, with, uh, Bill Cosby, you know, and one of his standups, he's like, I, I love Bill Cosby, man. And people are like, Ooh, and he goes, what? You know, I, I, I'm a comedian. He was my hero. He's my idol. I grew up uh, loving his comedy. And it's like finding out that chocolate pudding <laughs> is is a is a rapist right like <laughs> i still fucking love chocolate pudding but but god damn i gotta rape people <laughs> so right. i was like yeah you know that's so true because it's like i like michael jackson's music a lot and there's no denying like when thriller comes on during halloween i start to dance but i still get a little weirded out by everything you know about his his past and all this stuff that came out and it's it's so tragic for his victims and I'm sorry for the victims, I should say. And, uh, and I, I wouldn't want anyone to ever experience that. So it's just, it's one of those things that it's so hard to really kind of even, even approach, but yeah, right. I'll take, I'll take my comments off the air. <laughs> I know I wanted to, I wanted to be a Huxtable my entire childhood. I was like, Oh my God, if only I could grow up to be a Huxtable, it would be amazing. And then as I got older and I'm like, is he really like an OBGYN with an office? in the basement <laughs> it's kind of weird <laughs> and then i'm like huh <laughs> just something doesn't sit right around me you know and then we did this ultimate geek off and we did a debate on the geek legacy podcast and it was like a no holds barred sweater match between freddy krueger and bill cosby and this was like in like 1990 no i'm sorry 2013 maybe 2014 and uh before all the Alec, like before everything came to light and everything and just having an adult conversation about how creepy it is to be this doctor that has patients, women patients come down into your basement so that he can inspect <laughs> and run tests. Ugh. Just kind of kind of got creepy. And then I was like, man, I used to really like this show. And then I just kind of saw it in a different light. And then, of course, you know, all the, the different victims over the course of multiple decades. It's just fucking right. crazy tail banana pants. Yeah. Crazy stuff, like man. Yeah. Nope. Now, on onto the onto the good stuff. <laughs> uh, go. Personally, I'm a big fan of voiceover in films. I absolutely love it when someone is telling the story and I'm watching the events unfold. Like uh, we had this discussion during Ocean's Eleven and Sin City, and probably a couple times in passing uh, through films like Blade Runner. Uh, did voiceover help or hurt this film for you? I, I think it, I think it definitely helped. I think the voiceover it was just this trope that Scorsese uses, and normally I'm not a huge fan of it in films, but I think that Scorsese has just mastered it, and he has he knows exactly how to use it to perfection. It it works so well in every every one of his films, and um, each time during those movies, I think the the key to making sure that his his edits. Uh, or I think the key to making sure it, it works well is he just has to have his edits match the narration to show like cause and effect. And he has to have the pacing down and it needs to enhance the story. And I think he just checks all those. Um, 
usually his films too, they also kind of deal with this highly complex plot. So the narration is necessary for us because there's just so much going into what's going on. And there's a lot of like, oh, Fugazi, Fugazi, that kind of shit. So it's it's important to show us those inner workings. And I mean, even our, our buddy uh, Stoltz Ken, he explained one of the favorite favorite parts about Casino was just how you find those inner workings of the casino and how the counting works, how all that kind of shit. I mean, that's why I liked Ocean's Eleven, aside from the heist stuff, is, ooh, the dice have to be weighed this. And each night this happens for the money. And each night the codes are changed. So I, I really enjoy that kind of aspect of it. Sure. No, it's great. Um, yeah. I mean, I think the whole first like 45 minutes of this movie is just basically understanding how a casino works. And I think that's important to understand what's at stake and just all the moving pieces and parts and who's involved, you know, the silent partners and all that stuff. And we wouldn't know that unless someone was telling us. Right. Absolutely. It's part of the, the world building, as it were. Totally. I absolutely agree. So let's talk about Nikki's final moments. Was it hard for you to watch Nikki and Dominic just get beaten to death by baseball bats? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I said it earlier. I, I didn't like that scene at all. It was, you know, regardless of how bad Nikki was at the end, and he was, he was a pretty bad dude, I don't want to watch someone get bludgeoned to death by metal bats. It's just, it's very hard to watch the sound effects, the the grunting, and then plus, you know, they're making him watch, and he's just screaming out for Dominic, and that was... That was a rough watch, dude. I was, I, this, this whole movie I've been watching, I'm like, oh, why do you got to do this at the end of the movie? You know, you know, I'm already bought into it. I, I have to finish it, but oh boy, that was tough. Yeah, that's a, that's a hard pill to swallow. It was a, it was a, a suppository. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> right up the butt <laughs> with a baseball bat. That's rough. At least it's metal, not wood. Now, can you think of any other films where the death scenes were so cringeworthy that you had to look away? Yeah, for sure. So uh, off the top of my head, American History X, the curb stomping scene. Yeah, I think like that the first five minutes of the movie, you're like, yeah, well, shit, it's going to be one of those kind of movies. I, I, I couldn't. I mean, the first time I saw that movie, I had to turn away. I've seen it since, and it's still actually one of my favorite movies just with how well it's done and, and the, the meaning behind it. But uh, that scene is very, very hard to watch. Um, it's a very talked about scene. The, the hobbling scene in Misery. When she puts the um, wood block between James Conn's legs and hits him with a sledgehammer, it still gives me like I'm getting goosebumps thinking about that scene. I I hate how how visceral and ugh, intense it is. It's just gross. Yeah, I was a kid when I saw that, dude. Jesus, that, that explains a lot, Justin. That explains oh, a lot. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I, I we got it on the video cassette. And I was like, ah, <laughs> she's like, it's anytime it, someone says I'm your number one fan. I'm like, not that anyone yeah. says that to me or anything. But <laughs> when when I just hear someone like uh, at like conventions and stuff, I'm like, oh, shit, mm -hmm. stay away from that one. <laughs> she's like the howdy doody cops. Yeah. <laughs> so, the um, so even though it's one of my favorite movies, uh, the thing, the defibrillator scene really scared the shit out of me when I was a kid. And I still don't like watching it because I don't like when arms get bitten off and stuff. Um, and so uh, that reminded me that defibrillator scene, it actually reminded me of Jaws four. I think yeah, when Sean when, gets his arm bit off. Yeah, exactly. He's trying to reach out for that thing. And the shark is just like, surprise motherfucker. And yeah, bites his arms off or whatever. Yeah. I, yeah. I like, hated oh, it. Yeah. Yeah. Rough. I hated it. He's like, I need some ointment there. <laughs> so, yeah. Lots, <laughs> lots of ointment. 
um in robocop um oh god yeah emil getting the uh like sludge on him and then he's all toxic avenger and then he gets run over (laughs) it is so gross it is so fucking gross i hate everything about that scene i think it's disgusting but i love that movie so I, i i think that i mean i agree that that's a gross death but i think that Murphy getting shot up, like when Boddicker has yeah. his pin down and he like shoots his hand off. Yeah, that's and pretty blood's sick too. Pumping out and on his face and everything. Oh my god, that is that was hard for me to watch. I remember, I remember just being like, Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> "Were you eating like were you eating like a chicken sandwich or something?" No, and no, you're just no, like, no, Oh no. boy, <laughs> no, 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 nothing like that. But I mean, you know, I was I was six, and I just remember, <laughs> I remember being like. Fuck, I don't <laughs> like this. <laughs> Just the anticipation. He's like, no, 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 no. I'm like, oh my God, you should have fucking got already. And uh, then, yeah. Uh, yeah, that was hardcore, man. I didn't Whew. like that either. Yeah. And then uh, finally, um, one scene that I thought was really, really terrifying to me and also just hard to watch, even though they don't they don't show it, was the the lust death scene in the movie seven. So it's the one where they go to that sex club and the lady is, you know, she's she's murdered. um, And then the guy is wearing a strap on with a knife and they don't show the scene, but they describe what happens. And you're just like, oh, my God, like he essentially had sex with her with that knife penis and I'm just like, I feel like I need to go take a shower because I'm just in this <laughs> filth. It's it's yeah. so disturbing. But uh, I mean, that, that's also you know the brilliance of Fincher and how he's how he sets his scenes. But oh boy, yeah, those are those are some pretty disturbing moments where I, I kind of have to close my eyes a bit. Sure. Yeah, I don't like any kind of face wounds. Like if someone gets yeah. like their mouth cut or their eyes injured, with the exception of of uh tony dogs in the in the vice i just don't like face <laughs> damage it hurts so like the curb stomping was rough you know i remember seeing that like this tiny art house theater and um i didn't i don't think i knew i didn't even know what the movie was i just it was i was at the theater and it was playing in like five minutes so i got a ticket and i was like jesus christ <laughs> <laughs> at first i was like oh it's in black and white how fun and then Oh my God, what the hell did I just sign up for? And then, uh, yeah, no idea what that movie was about. And then, um, fucking, uh, fire in the sky. I've talked about that a couple of times with oh, aliens. Yeah. When the, when oh, the needles yeah. coming down on his yeah. eye. Uh, he's okay. We can laugh about it now, but, oh. uh, when the needle is, keeps getting smaller and smaller and smaller and right up to his eye, it's like, holy shit. I can't, can't do that right nope. now. No, yeah. me not a fan of the eye wounds. And then I don't know if you saw the original Pet Cemetery, but when the little kid is got the scalpel and he yeah. cuts the neighbor's like uh tendon Achilles. Like, Achilles yeah. yeah, and he falls and no then he fair. cuts his he cuts his mouth like right where the like it comes together, you know, like in the lines, the laugh lines. Yeah. Ooh. I, don't I don't like, like it either. That. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> nope. Not at all. Not, not at all. A, not a fan. So I mean for the bat thing, it is rough, you know, with the sounds of the hitting the body and everything and and what kind of brain damage you would have and still being alive and not being able to breathe. I think thinking about it makes it way more cringe than actually watching it. So, I mean, it's weird to say, cause it's, there's a lot of parts where they're, they're whacking, but you're not seeing the whacking. Does that make sense? Like the body is just off screen and you see them just kind of hammering right. down, which I think is helpful and impactful at the same time. Right. So, right, right. Um, 
Yeah, it's rough. <laughs> Why can't they just turn into dust like in Avengers? <laughs> it's a little bit easier that way. <laughs> I don't I don't feel so good, Mr. Stark. <laughs> yeah. Ugh. Spoiler. Jeez. I know, right? <laughs> so <laughs> Casino is one of my all-time favorite mob movies. You know, I rank it higher than Goodfellas, as I mentioned before. And um I think that um you know, everything inside the casino is pure gold and all the shady dealings uh, back home, you know, really set the tone that no one is really in control. Nikki is pretending that it's the wild, wild west and Ace is trying to run an honest business. But at the end of the day, they're both fucked. And, you know, I mentioned this earlier, even even James Woods as Lester Diamond is just fucking dynamite. Like he's perfect for that role. And um, he just looks like a sleaze bag, and he acts oh, like yeah. a sleaze bag. And in the, in the <laughs> trivia... Um, I had read that when he heard that um, Scorsese was making this film, he sent him a note and he's like, any day, any time, any fee, I don't care. Like just whatever. I just want to be in this movie. And, yeah. um, and, you know, he got this role and it's perfect for him. And, um, you know, I really think that everyone brought their A game and this movie just absolutely fucking shines for me. I love it from start to finish. What about you? Oh, I, I completely agree. I think that everything that you said and more, um, I'm very happy. Like I bought this on uh, Voodoo, I think for $5 and 4K, and I'm very happy I own it. I'll, I'll revisit it again someday. But there's something about that old Vegas that's so uh, interesting to me. Um, he doesn't, is this Scorsese's only movie that's really in Vegas? Because the other ones are mostly like New York, New Jersey. Uh, gosh, what else? Like Boston. He doesn't, I think this is his only one that's really Vegas. But anyways, uh, about it, 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 it's so interesting because um, I love that that secret backstory that is Vegas. And the fact that this was uh, based on a true story um, it, with, with true events is, is pretty fascinating. He used um, a lot of the same people like the lawyer uh for sam was the was uh the guy's actual lawyer um i don't think the guy's name was sam in real life but it was who he was based on that was his actual lawyer he actually also became the mayor of vegas at one point right fact but yeah but yeah he uses a lot of the same people um so i think that that was that was very very interesting and uh no i absolutely love this movie in terms of like a letter grade i i, I gotta give this an a this was uh just a, a, a home run for me well there you have it what do you give it? Oh, yeah, A+. Plus. Fucking love this movie. Start to finish. There are a couple of like weird errors in the movie. Like when uh, House of the Rising Sun is playing and they're going and they're killing everybody. When they kill Andy Stone, uh, the guns aren't really firing. And, you know, like, there's no bullets yeah, going in them. That um, was weird. Yeah, there was like no blood. And we, that, so the guy that killed Andy Stone, um, that was actually a hitman who uh, was he was. Um, I think Frank's character was based off of him. So they got him to actually do a cameo, which was crazy. But yeah, it looked like he was shooting like a BB gun at him or something. Yeah, he just like kind of kind of keeps throwing his yeah. pistol like, hey, yeah, it's like, die. Pew, 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 yeah. pew. So yeah, you're right. But whatever. I mean, I suspended my, my disc. There was enough violence in it for me that I didn't need to see you know, right. a whole bunch of. And I, and I like how Scorsese has his mom in the movie. And like when, oh, yeah. when she's telling Artie not to swear. And he's like, and it was Green <laughs> yeah. himself. I'll bury the fucking bastard. And she's just like <laughs> dropping her head and like rolling her eyes. Like, oh my God. Oh, man, loved it. So yeah. Funny. Absolutely loved it. Yeah. Well, cool. No, that's that's all I got. Do you want to uh you want to take us out? Sure. Thank you everybody for listening to the Don't Be Crazy podcast. I had a ton of fun talking with uh with my best mate there, Mr. Justin Cavender, um, about casino. I'm glad that he uh, chose this. It's a perfect holiday film brings everyone together but uh, remember to follow us on twitter at dbcrazypod 
you can uh, share you know your thoughts with us and what movie we should do next uh, Justin has a, a Twitter handle. It is at Edgy Armo, and I have one. It is at ZachDale60. If you reach out to us, please remember to try to find a movie that is streaming uh, or very, very cheap because we are cheap <laughs> bastards. <laughs> please also be sure to check out the Geek Legacy podcast with David, Randy, and Justin. Uh, great, great show. They talk about a lot of nerdy stuff. If you are a Mandalorian fan, they are breaking down those episodes, and it is pretty cool. Um, also, check out the Pixelated Podcast with Stephen K. James and Justin. I'm excited about that one, too, because Cyberpunk 2077, 2077, there we go, is coming out on the 10th, and it will be fun to see what happens. I know Justin's going to play all 140 hours of the campaign in, like, a week. I don't think so. <laughs> so, uh, just please remember, amidst all of this, don't be crazy. Thank you for listening. Thank you so much.